0: Well, look, I'm like, I'm here. Thank you. I appreciate the platform. Again, I'm here in Tanzania Mm -hmm. with, and I got here through a business. That's my own business. I'm not Mm -hmm. a Jehovah's Witness anymore. (laughs) And it's like, but I had to, to, I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, it's like going through all these transformations, having these great experiences through travel has just helped make me a better person. And so what I'm trying to, through the book, it's not. Uh, I, I'm, it's a series of essays. So, an, one essay might highlight, you know, there's an essay I have on my experience in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But throughout each essay, I provide like game, like okay. uh, or, 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 or salient points that I that I wish that I would have had ten years ago, mm. or that I wish I, I know I wish I would have had this when I was twenty. Or I wish I would have had this when I was thirty uh um, you know like i said i even wish i had this when i was 40 just and it's a and like i said if nothing else i think it's going to start a dialogue because i think there are brothers out there like i said you you know yeah, brothers, yeah. there's a lot of brothers who are just doing amazing things they're traveling all over and they they're sitting on co- tops of all kinds of information and so i think that by sharing life experiences travel experiences we can start a dialogue with each other and help each other be better, better, better travelers and better men.
1: Welcome to Sun Chasing Success, a podcast for online entrepreneurs, authors, and influencers worldwide. We are here to enhance your quality of life while helping you build location-independent businesses. We connect listeners with guests, insights, and discussions from the sunny coasts of the USA to the crystal blue waters of the Caribbean islands. Fascinating dialogue from the enchanting beaches of Brazil to the majestic shores of Africa. Each week, we deliver specialized knowledge, wisdom, strategies, and tips to enhance your success, freedom, and fun under the sun. Now, here's your host, Bio Oloronto.
2: Welcome back, everybody. This is Bio here for another exciting episode of Sun Chasing Success. And this time, I've got a very intellectual brother, he's an author. His name is Clark yo He's a, a writer and director from New York City. Uh, he's been writing uh, for a long time. His, news, his uh, writing's been featured in the Amsterdam News, the Norwood News, the Brooklyn Eagle, Harlem Community News, Queens Community Politics, The Final Call, Baltimore African-American, South China Morning Post, and China Global Daily. He's also been in Time Out Hong Kong, the Fong Pen Post, and E-China Cities. Uh, his new book is called uh, the Black Man's Travel Guide, Homeboy and the Pyramids. And basically, uh, Clark is going to talk with us a little bit today about his experience, his, uh, his life traveling to, to many different countries, and this new book he's writing, Homeboy and the Pyramids, and what that means for all of us who are chasing the sun and looking for that that success and fulfillment that we all long for. Welcome to the show, Clark.
0: Thank you, man. I, I think I need to hire you to do the introduction for, for the rest of my life because you <laughs> hey, make me man. sound a lot better. <laughs> hey,
2: man, you you you're a great man. You're a great man. So we just want to pay homage to that and uh, and highlight the best that you you've shown well, us.
0: Well, bio, you know, I appreciate this platform that you've given me, and also I wanted to just start a dialogue with other men, specifically so-called, like I mentioned so-called black men in, 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 the, in the introduction of the book because there are a lot of brothers who are doing amazing things, you know, traveling. And, you know, years ago, I think there was a magazine called a like Maxim. And I read about a brother who was like taking his balloon, you know, traveling via balloon around the world mm-hmm. and how they balloon. I mean, there's, there's brothers who are doing amazing things. But the bottom line was I wanted to begin the conversation for quote unquote black men uh, a, a travel based on my experience that i've had living in several countries uh and not just tourism but living in a different country and then also start that dialogue because the quote-unquote black travel market is expected to explode now of course we've you know things have slowed down a bit with covid but mm-hmm. um they're expecting they're expecting this market to reach billions of dollars And these are people who are black travelers. So I wanted to have a separate dialogue for quote unquote black men, uh, because I think it's necessary that we have this conversation amongst ourselves. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, it's awesome to have you here, man. And uh, you know, just having my first, for everybody to know, my first contact with you was, uh, I think you were in Brazil at the time in Rio. And uh, I was looking at some videos online, just doing my own research. And I think, you know, I just saw you there in a room just, just telling so many things and uh, advice for people. And it's been that way since. Uh, you've been continuing your YouTube channel, sharing stuff. Um, basically, give us a little bit of a background, first of all, so we can build that context for people, uh, how you started traveling. and Because I didn't really know you before that, and I think it's good for mm. people to, to understand that. Like when you, you know, your, your upbringing, your education, how you got into writing and travel. All right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started my first, I'm I'm born and raised in Queens, New York, um, middle, middle middle-class neighborhood, uh, Jamaica, New York. And, uh, you know, I didn't, there was, you know, I grew up the, you know, went to the high school, inner city high school. Um, but after, uh, high school, uh, you know, I was given the opportunity to go stay with a relative in Atlanta, and I was in Atlanta from ninety six to ninety nine. And so that was my first travel, real travel experience. Because even in the U.S., even within right. the U.S., and I talk about this in the book. You know, there's a lot of brothers who may read the book and they have like felony charges or whatever, and they, maybe they can't travel outside the United States. You can get interesting experiences traveling within the United States, and mm-hmm. I I'd highlight that, and that's important. But what happened was um you know i i started out in it uh, after after high school and everything i went into uh, i went to a trade school and uh in atlanta and i was in atlanta and I and i talk about this in the book how great atlanta was it was an amazing mm-hmm. experience and the economy was very well very, very good there and um but when i came back to new york still there was no travel i had no interest in travel at all really um, but while I was working at Atlanta, I never forget one of the guys I went to trade school with, I won't say his name, he had sent some photos back about his experiences in Brazil. Mm. And, and it was like, you know, I had my little girlfriend, Spellman or whatever. I really wasn't <laughs> interested in going to Brazil for, for that. So I was like, all right, that's not really important to me. Later on, when I came back to New York City, I still in the IT field, I was working with some Asian guys. And I mentioned this in the book and they kept on talking about Thailand mm. and I was like on the fence with it. I was like, that's not really my thing. I'm not really interested in traveling because I was like a really super computer nerd, man. Okay. A really hardcore, really a hardcore nerd. And then the other part of it, man, I was super religious, man. My parents raised me with Jehovah's Witness. Okay. So it's like, you know, it's like you've got this, this spiritual burden and then you've got like this... You know, uh, I guess a burden—a burden to succeed in this. Uh, this uh, in my very career. introverted, very so, introverted field. Super intro. I mean, like I would—I would yeah. go and hang out with friends on a weekend. You know, I, we would. You know, yeah. I was—I was a wild guy, despite "quote unquote" being affiliated with that religion. But I really wasn't living the kind of life that I should have been living, mm-hmm. and and um, fulfilling life. It was, uh, I never forget, um, so I stayed in the IT field, and then I mentioned this in the book, how you know, I moved out to New Jersey for a little bit after New York, after nine eleven, and the same guy who who I went, the same one of these Asian guys, he really influenced me. He left the IT field, and I was <laughs> blown away because I never thought this guy would be able to leave the IT field. And... Uh, he left. And that was the first time I got encouraged, but it was when I saw City of God in Mm -hmm. 2003. (laughs) I had never been overwhelmed by music and cinema that way. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I really want to go to Brazil. I saw City of God and I was like, wow, man. But let me backtrack. Even before City of God, another movie that, uh, another movie that really inspired me that kind of planted the seeds was uh, a movie called, um, the beach
2: okay
0: i don't know if i've seen that one that's leonardo dicaprio okay and that's one of his films but it's based on a book uh Mm -hmm. and this book was kind of like this book was like an underground book it was primarily i don't want to say it was primarily it was just it was like you know back in you know back in the 90s there was no internet Mm-hmm. So er, er, early
2: nineties, <laughs> yeah, yeah, early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't. No, I remember like ninety like, six, ninety uh, seven, ninety eight. The actual. Well,
0: it wasn't. It wasn't as ubiquitous, right? As it is some now. people so had it like,
2: <laughs> as early as
0: that. But... Some, right, right? But around mid nineties, yeah, mid nineties, mid nineties, early nineties. There wasn't. Maybe somebody would have an AOL account, but. This book was being passed around and it sent a lot of people to Thailand, and that was what really set the foundation for that movie. Mm. And after that mm. movie, their their tourism <clears throat> market exploded. Wow! But okay. I I just highlight that. So I came from a place where you know from my, first of my, all of my twenties, I was you know really introverted, like you said, a computer nerd, but at the same time there was this religious baggage, and then. So the thought of me in 2003, when I said I wanted to go to Brazil, I had no idea how I was going to get there.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I wouldn't manifest that until seven years later in 2010, but I had to make a lot of changes. And so mm. I had to become a different person. Yeah.
2: So, so the thought of even going overseas anywhere started you on a mm-hmm. thought process and a problem solving process right. that made you... Develop and change who you are. Like, for example, I gotta get a passport. I might have to get a visa in order to get this. I need the money to do this, and how much? You know, like, what were some of those uh, those steps that shifted in you well, internally? Even externally?
0: when, well, it was funny. Like around 2003, when I was staying, I remember where I was in New Jersey. I was staying in a place called Boundbrook. One of my buddies, was kind of like a mentor to me, he had just came back from Brazil. It was something like. I saw this movie and then like a few weeks later he comes back from Brazil and he's talking about the women and he's like, you know, they're hot or whatever. And I was mm-hmm. like, All right. You know, that's what's up. And but I had no idea how I was gonna do that. Like, okay, so I guess I'll just go there for two weeks and but I I, I didn't want that kind of an experience. It was kinda like right. I really, really was overwhelmed by that culture. Like I never knew, knew yeah, yeah. prior to that. I, really, I never knew there were any African people living in
2: Brazil. Yeah, that's one of the, the biggest draws for me because when I grew up, I grew up watching soccer. And Pele, one of their heroes, an African soccer player, that was one of the greatest soccer players ever in the world. So right. my dad was African and I was playing soccer. So Brazil was wow. always there for me. And right. I know it's different for a lot of people the experience. And then later I was introduced to capoeira when I was mm. about 18. I had like phases like every four years. <laughs> like when I was eight, it was like Pele and the, the, the Brazilian soccer hero. Then it was like the World Cup. Then it was capoeira. Then it was like the culture and the beaches and music and, and living in New York. Uh, so yeah, know, it's a beautiful country and it, and it has a place to, to, to share a lot about African culture in this world.
0: No, absolutely. And unfortunately for me, I didn't start going to those phases until after I saw the movie. After yeah. I saw the movie, you know, taking Portuguese classes, learning Portuguese, about Capoeira, yeah. it was after that movie that really inspired me. And so it was kind of like the seven years in between, I had to become a new person and make a lot of changes.
2: Yeah. It's funny, man, because as I've been doing these interviews and having read a lot of different other people's experiences. Movies play a big part in the life of us as Americans. Did you realize that? Well, <laughs> well, I think so. Even even for here,
0: young ones in Tanzania too, right now. Us,
1: yeah.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah. Even in Tanzania. I was just speaking to somebody last week, and a guy across the street. We were having a conversation, and I said, "Do you know anything about Americans?" And he said, we're <laughs> "The movies."
2: Dang man! And, and so, so this is this something a, we got to really think
0: about because well, it's know. a big music videos. You know, mm-hmm. movies, these are a big export. And so it's something that we definitely have a discussion about. But you're right.
2: Yeah, yeah, man. So, okay, Uh tell us a little bit about that restrictive life, because you mentioned the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh That was throughout all of your youth through high school?
0: I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness.
2: Okay, so this was your primary experience? That's, it's that's your, it's
0: your culture. It's your culture, mm-hmm. basically. And... Like you said, your belief system. And I got inculcated with a lot of dogma and superstitions, and
2: they were just suffocating me. Now, some people, I don't want to interrupt you, but just to add context, some people have said that, uh, and I have a friend that was in as well. They said that there are some disciplines and some, depending on the person maybe, he did say that there are some benefits in the sense that you learn how to resist uh, peer pressure and things like that. Um, depending on who you are, you might you might be able to maintain some self-esteem and, and composure that other kids maybe would be subjected to that wouldn't be able to maintain that that self-discipline. Sure,
0: sure. They're 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 like kind of a ironic they're, byproduct they're posi- of it. Yeah, there are positives, I guess, to being raised in that culture. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that looking back in retrospect, I don't think that. I would have chosen that path. Yeah, obviously way.
2: that's an extreme way to try to enforce that type of decision-making. Yeah, and you know? I
0: it, I think it just impedes your growth as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was that's my thinking. It's not that I had... And, and that's why I don't focus the whole book on that. It's just like one essay because it's like, this is who I was because I also, you know, um, I don't like victimization and... Mm-hmm. There are plenty of, uh, there's a movie called The Secret, and I remember watching this years ago, and it discussed so many people who had these horrific, uh, you know, traumatic uh, upbringings, and mm-hmm. they weren't raised as Jehovah. They weren't raised as Jehovah.
2: Actually, so, <laughs> right. <you> know, right. <laughs> Everybody has whatever things that they have difficult yeah, in their bro, life you, growing up. Right. Yeah. And so, but, but I. What was, was the catalyst to, you know, ju- to get out of it? I mean,
0: I think like, wanting. Wanting to experience this new life was the catalyst, bro. Really. okay. okay.
2: Wanting,
0: wanting to go to Brazil. I also talk about in the book, you know, me becoming a, I eventually became a photographer. I left a six-figure salary and was basically working for a fraction of that and getting by in New York City, you know. And I did this because it was something that was very important to me. And so I had to make, you know, drastic changes in my life.
2: Now, when, this is very important because I've talked with some other guests about this idea of a lot of guests have moved from engineering that I've talked to and, and others, some of these IT type of fields. Uh, this six-figure idea, right? When you got to that six-figure salary, how did yeah. you feel? Were you like, okay, you know, I'm making this money. I mean, was there any enjoyment out of that? Like, like, okay, now I can use this money for this and that and that.
0: It didn't. It didn't do anything for
2: me. Wow! Did and you think it would? I'll, I'll or, say. I mean, yes, sure of course, most of course. I do thought, <laughs> I
0: thought. I thought, you know, I thought when I got to that level, that's why I was working so hard in IT. Right. Period. Right. So I thought when I got to that level financially, yeah. I'd have all the shorties and I'd have all the the, the holistic life to go with it. And when yeah. I got there, it was like, okay, this, this wasn't.
2: You, you still was had to do for. those. The, go to that type of job every day, so you, you couldn't really.
0: I I talk I didn't even mention this in the book it's like there was a point where I'm at work and I felt like Nia were in the Matrix I was working at for a financial company I was like what the fuck am I doing here man and it was just like it was destroying it was destroying my soul literally
2: whoa that's and, deep
0: and so I think the other big problem I had is that i identified with my job there's nothing wrong with having a computer job or it job no. but that was my that was that's how I, I i i would go out and i would you know that's how i identify with people and what and that was my status and that was my self-esteem i based my self-esteem on that i should say
2: gotcha so at that point uh was there any significant moment when you were like okay i'm out of here was there a final straw was there that neo moment where you ran and jumped out the hmm. office building and jumped to the other office
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i had several of those moments it wasn't like just one yeah. uh kind of like the movies it's just one yeah, moment. It's right, like right. it's kind of ex- like there were several like i said it was like and then when i was in new jersey i i talk about this um i had seen city of god and there was another brother who had written a book and he was an IT guy, but he had used photography to express himself. Once I started covering boxing matches in the evening, oh, okay. I, started, I was working as a journalist. I was moonlighting, and this girl I was dating, she was an editor. I don't want to say her name. She was a well-known editor, so she was giving me insight on the editing game. So I was able – it was just so cool for me to go cover a tennis show, a boxing match. It's
1: kind of like Fight Club. <laughs>
0: You know, yeah. movie, you're around all out. these yeah Fight yeah you. yeah it's like well it's that kind of you're around all these exciting people this yeah, uh, yeah. you know this environment that exciting entertaining people and then the next morning you know you're it's sitting like, you know you you would you have you have doctors on and a card you're like <laughs> what am I doing here it's like I, this is not nah, I, i'm not supposed to be here it right. was just very it was a very dip so th- that helped the transformation Gosh,
2: you started to identify and understand that, you know, human beings, we, you know, if you're at boxing, I mean, you got the athletes who are living their passion. You got the writers and journalists that are covering the boxing. You're seeing fans probably coming from all walks of life, spending money to see That's a right. boxing match. And you're like, wow, man, these people. So it's like, you know, it creates an environment where you see people living their dreams, basically. And, and, and you know,
0: that- no, absolutely. And you mentioned significant moments. There was a night I covered a fight at the Manhattan Center, and I remember it was like probably my first ringside assignment at the ring. Mm-hmm. And I just looked back and I saw all the people in the crowd, and I mm. said, "Wow, look at me! I'm I'm on the other side of the fence, and mm. I didn't pay anything. I didn't pay anything to be here tonight. Yeah, and I'm an event, and it was like a Shannon Briggs fight. It was a, it was you know, but it was big enough. It was a it was a decent card, and it was like wow. Normally, I would pay to watch this event,
1: but yeah, here I am, journalism
0: yeah. put me in another place. So, in the you know, even book, I mentioned my journey into journalism, my journey into and and travel how how travel has played all a role in that. But it was mm-hmm. like I had to make a a shift as a person in order to start being able to travel abroad.
2: So, journalism was that transitionary kind of like passion career slash that that. That was that bridge for you a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, look, bro, I, I'll be honest with you. I dated several editors. <laughs> several, several, several. and I'm not going to even, I'm not going to mention their names because there's a lot of people in the book I don't mention their names,
2: but- Oh, that's no problem.
0: There several sisters, no, no, there were several sisters that I dated that assisted my journey and my elevation into journalism. And wow. the reason that they found me, two of them, because I, I used to write a lot on Craigslist, and mm. I, I'll just keep it 100 with you. I wrote a really passionate ad about the woman I was looking for and Craigslist used to be very, a lot of people who like to read and very cerebral <laughs> and that's how, that's how I met some of them. Because so I you write,
2: literally were drawing people to you who, who liked these type of intellectual ideas, Who like, Who like and their and their stuff like stuff
0: Right, who were cerebral writing.
1: Yeah. And
0: so that was the energy I was putting out and I, was, and I attracted two of them and then that way and then another one I just met at an, at an event.
2: Wow, so So, okay, man. So, so you got into that, and then so Brazil was your first trip outside the U.S.? What was the first trip?
0: I I was 30, I was 33, it's 10 years ago, bro. I was 33, Mm -hmm. and I never left the United States not to go to nowhere. I never left the United States to go to Mexico, Jamaica, none of that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I left. And, you know, that was it. Brazil was my first, my, I bought a plane ticket. And the other thing is, in order for me to get to Brazil, I had to work. I had like a consulting business.
2: Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I,
0: I had to, you know, I did that and started that on my own.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: um, it was a heavy transition, man.
2: So, so then basically that's what you talked about here. Uh, what's, so taking that leap, what's missing in our understanding about travel? Um, as Black men in African diaspora, that that you can relate to, and that you've been able to synthesize now, you know, many years later, uh, after taking these jumps about the personal development and uh, and all of that.
0: Yeah, I think, and I mentioned even in the forward board that I sent to you. I when I'm making videos or writing, I'm not pontificating and talk about how great I am. It's just I'm sharing mm-hmm. my experience to get the dialogue going, and then also. To emphasize that I think brothers will get a much more rewarding experience by staying in a place okay. versus going to a hotel for a week and coming back home. Um, you know, some brother may be listening to this and they they love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And mm. one of the best, one of the best teachers is in Lima or is in a favela in Brazil. Go stay with that dude for three months. And by by pointing the direction, by pointing in that direction, things will happen. Um, I've told people like, you know, like you'll you'll take a class in Portuguese and then there'll be a girl at the class and then she's gonna be like, oh, my uncle lives in Ipanema. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, yeah, you can come, you can come stay with him for a month. And so doors will open up as you mentally say, I want to do this. And if you, and what I didn't realize, and I mentioned this in the book bio, had I really stayed focused early on and and really started using my mental faculties to manifest, Mm. I I probably, it wouldn't have taken me seven years. It would have probably taken me two years.
2: Mm. And by the way, those are, uh, these synchronicities are part of the African family, friend and community experience, you know, the village idea, you know, Mm. and a lot of Brazilians have talked about this, like, Mm. Once they realize how they grew up and they looked at Africa, they're like, wait a minute, this is where I got mm. these things from. Wow. You know? Now tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about, uh, you referenced the book and dedicated it to Bakari Henderson uh, and every, yeah. every black man daring That's to break a, free. You know, We've had yeah. a lot of names this year and, and in the past mm. decades of black people that have died to police brutality, violence, and so forth and so on. Why is this particular name important regarding outside of the U.S. travel? Uh, well, this is, like, yeah,
0: this is this is a young brother who went down to uh, to Greece, mm-hmm. and he was chilling. He was chilling in a bar, and I'm just summarizing this. Story, sure, yeah, um, it's horrific. He was chilling in a bar, and a, a European lady wants to. She she initiated contact with him. She was like, "Hey, I want to take a picture with you." Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guys that was in the bar started hating, and he initiated violence with Bukhari. Um, uh, responded, and b- there was an element outside where Bukhari was kind of like, you know, he was upset. You know, somebody just assaulted him, and mm-hmm. he had a right to be upset. And unfortunately, man, he got chased. and He got beat mm-hmm. by like you know a group of guys. There were like, you know, seven, eight guys that were beaten on him and he died. Mm. And I don't, it's horrible. Um, So there's so many elements around that story that make me feel bad because, you know, that could have been me several times in Asia. Mm -hmm. And it seems like when racism rears its head, like, uh, I mentioned this in the book, but I, It's unfortunate that he was by himself. He was with some quote-unquote friends. Mm
1: -hmm. They didn't
0: do anything at the moment. And then later Mm -hmm. on, when they had a chance to testify, some of them were like, well, I don't want to testify. They wouldn't even testify.
2: Mm. So
0: it's like, because they were worried about some guy in another country. And I just, you know, it just it, yeah. it's, it's and, a and sad this brings thing. To this,
2: I, I remember uh was it last year or a couple of years ago, the the ASAP Rocky situation in uh was hmm. it what, what was that at? Sweden? Sweden. Yeah, Sweden, Sweden, yeah.
0: You remember that? He didn't initiate uh Yeah, he, yeah he didn't initiate you know what that. I mean? And it's was, like guy was
2: yeah guy was, a guy was
0: chasing him. Yeah, harassing him. There's a him. brother there's a brother named Wendell Wendell, Wendell Brown or Wendell Davis a football Mm -hmm. player. He went to to China to teach football. And so he got into some kind of scuffle with a guy at a bar or whatever, and wound up doing two years in China. And his mother, his mother contacted me because Mm. she saw my videos online. And I helped her, you know, understand stuff about the whole experience of being in prison. Because I eventually I talk about this in my book. Right. And my journey to Hong Kong. I wound up going to prison for six months. So there's a lot of context I give about the journey, things we should and should not do, because one of the things I admire about brothers from Africa, when they go out, especially in Asia, Mm -hmm. they never go out alone. They Mm -hmm. never go out alone. Mm -hmm. They go out deep. You know, if you see a brother (laughs) from Gambia, he's going to have like five. He's going to have five or six of his boys with him. For, For some reason, and I'm not trying to talk shit about Black Americans, but I think we like sometimes we like going rogue. Like we watch too many movies, and mm. you know it's like.
1: Well, that's if interesting. We're, if we're in a place yeah. where there aren't. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Where finish where that point.
0: I just, I no, I just want to finish it. If we're in a place where there aren't many Africans. You should definitely be can be mindful of where you are and, you know, whether or not somebody's going to have your back.
2: This is what I was going to add to that was, okay, uh, the American mindset of, in, of rugged individualism, of dog eat dog capitalism, of get rich or die trying, you know what I mean? These, point, yeah. these motifs, these uh, ideas that, that Black men carry around in the United States, Sometimes like you've seen the video uh, or the the photo they have online of a a gun of a police officer pointed to one side of the head. The black man is pointing the other gun at the other side of the head, you know? Mm. So this makes a lot of black men isolated, feeling like, okay, I got some money, I'm gonna travel, but I don't trust anybody, so I'm just gonna go by myself. But this is the thing we, you know, you you talk about that, like America classifies you as a black man, right? Mm. And you've lived in seven (laughs) countries, I'll go through a list of them here uh, that included China for 13 months, Taiwan for three months, Cambodia for 15 months, Vietnam for 10 months, Hong Kong for a year, Brazil was six months. Um, And in that process, did you ever have a posse, so to say, of brothers that could be there with you to do anything with and and support you? Right? See, this is something that we have to understand, you know? And uh, I was even... You know, fortunate here to make friends with, you know, yeah. people here in Brazil before I came here. Just, just, even if it's just, you know, your martial arts brothers that you're training with, and, you know, even if they're not all black, but like they have something, they have some common interest in you that's yeah. other than you just meeting people out in a new country, you know what I mean? That you don't speak the language. No. I think that's incredibly yeah. serious and important. No, it's just yeah.
0: tremendously important. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It, you know, I don't think you would need it as much in Brazil or any place where there are other African people, I should say. Okay, um, okay,
2: right, that's true. That's like, true. Like,
0: like, if you go to Brazil, as long as you stay away from like tourist areas, you know, pretty much nobody will know you're Brazilian. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, you're like if, you, if, you know, if
2: you're not flashing, you just, you know, yeah, you yeah, look just, like everybody else. You know, yeah,
0: yeah, you look like everybody else, you'll blend in. I'm talking about places like Europe, Asia. Okay. Um, any, any 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 travel any place you travel to, and there aren't any Africans there, mm-hmm. be mindful. That's that's something I get into in a book as well. But but like I said, yeah. and I even thought about in the book, the brothers from the continent. I feel they're better travelers because mm. they don't have that American mentality. You say, and 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 you're right because when I first went down to Brazil, I had this mentality that I'm going to go ahead and start a consulting business when I get down there, and i never forget, there was this gay dude I met on couch surfing. He was real quick, and I just talked to him about a few months ago while writing the book, because I, mm-hmm. I even have his uh, original email. He said, Clark, if you come down here with that American mentality, you're going to wind up going back home with your tail between your legs, and that's exactly what happened in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Exactly so, so yeah,
2: we, we've, we've, I've heard this from a lot of other people. Um, the culture clash, and I have... Uh, <laughs> Have a podcast uh, episode about adapting to other cultures trying to yeah. help people understand yeah. that you know it's a process like I had you know I, I consider myself to be a very humble person very open-minded but even me I had to confront some of my Americanisms coming into Brazil getting acquainted with the language getting acquainted with the customs of the people the expectations because yes man it's a mindset that we grow up with in the united states and like for example here here's a perfect example like did you know that uh the brazil uh, brazil never has gone to war like in terms of um uh let's say attacking other countries or trying to confiscate uh land territory oil and things from other countries like they don't they don't grow up with like war movies about their country like that's so, important. so that's uh, like, but in the U.S., <laughs> that's all we know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, and then we have not only that; they have violence, of course, in Brazil and, and drug dealing and trafficking and all of that. And there's, of course, violence here. But it's like our violence in the United States—the way that it's caused and what's the cause of it, if based on. Yeah. The, yeah. And then the <laughs> other thing is, I'll say, I'll leave one more. The other thing is the type of uh, slavery that occurred in the United States was super super industrialized to the point where our gross domestic right. product in the United States in the late 1800s was primarily was off of slavery and cotton slaves. whereas yeah. Brazil they kind of like <laughs> taken it away and they kind of they kind of left Africans to the fringes and the Africans built their own communities and stuff and you know they kind of right. like later yes. accepted them as Africans no, in the United States, yes. it was like no, you're gonna read this Bible, you know, you're gonna do all of this stuff, and you're not gonna be African, mm. and that's the part that everybody struggle with now. That's is how point. do we connect? That's a good point. You know, with the, being a descendant of African and acknowledging that willingly and and openly mm. and with respect to ancestors, you know,
0: that's a good point. They're all valid good points. Even <laughs> you mentioned that it's so funny when I was in Brazil and I was in the favela, like. On the Sundays, there was like a group of people that would meet, and they would <clears throat> they would do some kind of spiritual practice. Right. And I said, you know, I I automatically saw the difference. I was like, you know, this is what's missing because they they had their and they had their versions of spiritual practice that was nothing like what we have in the United States. So nothing, that that connection yeah. wasn't it wasn't lost.
2: Mm-hmm. And even though they had Catholicism <laughs> here they were able to, to mold it. To, it is like, it's like, you're still going to be my yeah. way, you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: exactly. So, so it's completely different, completely different what happened there in Brazil.
2: So yeah, so you talked about like um, uh, the, what we gain as living for a long time in a place, at least over a few months. Um, and you, your, your family descendants were from the Caribbean, right?
0: My father's from the Caribbean. My mother's African American. So, okay, okay. So, you had a child, you know, two. Yeah, but yeah, He's, split different cultures. And I was raised in, in you know, New York City. My parents were raised in New York City. Okay. My, father was, my father was born in New York City. So, yeah.
2: So, so, yeah, I mean, and you know, I lived in New York City from 2007 to around the end of 2014. Were you in New York oh, okay. at that time at any point? No, you were already gone. I, I was think. there. I was
0: gone. Yeah, I was yeah. out. I was out. I, I came back for a bit and then like I headed out the door. Now.
2: Yeah. But you know, yeah. my, my experience, that was my experience in New York. Of course, that's a post 2000, post 9-11 New York. Uh, so very okay. different yeah. than much, probably the New York that you grew up in in the nineties. And everybody used to tell me, yeah, you know, this is different. One of the biggest differences I noticed was obviously in uh, the music scenes and stuff like that. Cause I grew up on East coast hip hop, even in the South it was right. a dominant uh, hip hop back in the day uh, in, the, in the 80s and 90s. Um, but then getting there and seeing like all these dudes from Queens like dancing to like these kind of like sing-along songs and stuff like that. I was like, <laughs> this you is- some
0: respect for that. It's not what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: It was like, you know, and I, and I saw a lot changing there. What did you see of uh, cultures and dynamics in New York from, you know, because there's a, there's a, a, a school, uh, Brooklyn Tech, where you know, um, very well, known. yeah. yeah that you know, there used to be just like just Asian kids just flooding out at 3 p.m., just right there down by Fulton, and I just be like, right. Man, like, you know, I, I like this is like Fort Green, like, we're all the black yeah. people, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, this is something that people really need to understand regarding like education, culture, like Chinatown. Like, what were you exposed to there in terms of because you know, they call Brooklyn the planet, but. You were exposed, I know you were exposed to cultures from all over the world. What did you learn about those interactions between all of them? Well,
0: definitely, I was from, you know, I grew up in Queens, so my experience was was primarily African American and Caribbean, uh, the neighborhood Mm -hmm. that we lived in, fortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, occasionally you would interface with, uh, for me, I really didn't start interfacing with other races, until I was in my 20s. Now, one of the benefits about, I guess, about being a Jehovah Witness or the church we went to was that it was about 40% Caucasian.
1: Mm. So
0: my, my interaction with Caucasians wasn't, it wasn't uh, just a teacher in school. Mm. It was like, you know, people, people were very close to us and, you know, they were like extended family. So I saw how art, or a form of a belief system could bring people together and you could form brotherhood and sisterhood through a mm. common belief.
2: Mm. So that kind of gave you a lens other than just race in New York City then? Absolutely. Because so the even world. when
0: I, yeah, when I made friends, I even like, I remember making friends with some Russian guys and, you know, he was surprised, he said, Clark, you know, you don't have any racist issues, you're not racist. Because mm-hmm. I, was, I was willing to hear his perspectives about how United States is full of propaganda, and I agreed. And I was like, well, "You're right." You know, we. And he was like, "You know, you're not like other Americans who have narrow-minded." And I guess that was based on my experiences of being around some Caucasian people at a very early age. I was able to deal with
2: them on an individual basis. Got you. Got you.
1: Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Want a free guide to secrets of success under the sun? Visit onorunbooks.com slash success and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your email inbox.
2: So let's talk about your book a little bit, man. And by the way, your website is uh, is illmatical.com, right?
0: yeah if you go to Illmatical.com, you'll find uh, just my my public my my published links um, but i have a, I, I have a a website coming for the book as well mm-hmm. so um, that'll be published within the next month or so
2: okay man so um, basically uh, in starting out you know you you talked about like um, the the several billion that's that spent on travel in 2018 um, yeah that's, but, but that's but gonna this, be a huge market right right and, and there, there's guess, a lot of people yeah. that need to read about, I mean there's people that want to read about different experiences of travel and I've interviewed uh, a couple of people who've had some off-the-radar the different types of experiences of travel um, i would consider myself to be one of those examples as well um, what, how important it is it for you to express this, um, how should I say, off the beaten path type of travel? And, you know, you have this title, Homeboy and the Pyramids. It's kind of like yeah. that book, The Alchemist, uh, you mentioned that. Well, you know, what yeah, is that I'm journey, you know, yeah, that journey, yeah. that purpose, that off the beaten path type of thing, taking the road less traveled? Um, All right, well.
0: Thank you. So one of the things I think is even if you look at the history of African Americans, there used to be something called the Green Book. And the Green Book was I didn't know a about guide.
1: That. Yeah, that.
0: The Green Book, the Green Book, this was something that African Americans shared amongst themselves in like the forties or fifties. And this book was used as a Basically, it was about traveling in the southern part of the United States. Oh,
2: okay, yeah, okay, I know. What so you're talking about. Yeah. it was,
0: it was. So they would know. You can go to this city. You can go to this town. You can okay. stay at this hotel. You can't. And this was information they shared with themselves. And right. it's not just African Americans. Uh, there are different travel books like this in in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. Like travelers will share insider information mm-hmm. about certain locations because once you, you know. When, you know, years ago in the nineties, we mentioned it, the internet wasn't as ubiquitous. So it was like people would uh, share certain information and make guides amongst themselves. And I haven't even heard about stuff that was being shared in like, you know, certain parts of Europe,
2: so mm-hmm. or
0: certain parts of like remote parts of Asia. There was like certain guides people had made about traveling certain locations. So mm-hmm. that was kind of like an impetus for getting this dialogue started because I know that. There'll be other black men who write travel guides and that's Greek. Um, the other emphasis I wanted to put on was, like I said before, traveling with a purpose,
1: mm. traveling
0: instead of tourism, because uh, tourism is a, a huge industry. It's, it's nice. I think it's good, but I think brothers and sisters will get a, a better experience to go stay somewhere for an extended period of time. And really absorb the culture because it also helps you reflect on yourself
2: mm-hmm. and
0: the person that you are. On um, the title of the book, uh, "Homeboy and the Pyramids," the, pyra- uh, the pyramids, of course, is the direct reference to the book "The Alchemist." There's so many people who've been affected by that book, especially when they're traveling. And I'm not going to give uh, away the whole storyline behind that book, but basically, this the person in the book is in search of the protagonist is is in search of a treasure which is mm-hmm. ostensibly buried in the, P- the the pyramids of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And this homeboy is, is a reference to myself, um, going on, taking my journey and, and, and in the process, uh, you know, trying to uh, seek or obtain my, my pyramids in life.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: th- this was sharing parts of my journey and how it, you know, it referenced. Cause even before I, I went to Brazil, like a week or two before, someone gave me that book, The Alchemist, and that really mm. helped mold my, my experience.
2: Now, do you think that, because uh, basically if, if you're, let's say um, you're coming from the United States and let's say you have been, been miseducated, so to say, let's say that you don't have as much knowledge of African history, spirituality, um, or a, a deep sense of your own life purpose, and you're kind of successful in the United States. You have a good job. You make some money. You have a car, house, whatever. You go for one or two weeks to even Rio or, you know, Europe or London. Yeah. And you and you come back. You see some interesting sights and sounds. Is it the fact that nothing is being challenged within your soul in this type of traveling? Is that what we're talking about here? Because That's it. That's, when you come and you live that's, that's, in that's, Brazil for three all... months or six months or one year, your soul will be challenged as a human you're being, be as who, your identity, your identity will be challenged as a human being. Right. Uh, when you're in right, prison well, in China or <laughs> have some kind of conflict happen, you can't be the person that you were with the identity you have. You have to, or not even just prison, If you have a challenge in a foreign country that you have to solve a problem, it's going to cause you to break out of any kind of format that you had that might have been programmed into you and cause you to make some decisions that may, you know, self-definition. Is that what we're talking about when we say transformation? You know, traveling? Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Like... Well, even a cousin of mine, he found out I was in Africa right now, and he, he wrote to me and said, it's glad to see you elevating because you know 10 years ago, you didn't want to be bothered. And I think that-
2: Which by the way, I forgot to mention, you're in Tanzania, everybody. He's in but, Tanzania. What, what part of it? <laughs> well, you know, no worries. <laughs> I'm
0: in, in, in Dar Salaam. Oh, okay. Um, Dar Salaam. Yes. Okay. So um, had I not spent time with the brothers in, in prison, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have come here. It wouldn't have been on my radar, like another destination would have been on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned this in the book, but just seeing there was a, a part of my journey when I was in the prison where I was actually in three different prisons, uh, a prison where they sort and the prison where I did most of my time. And then the final part was an immigration prison. It's when they send everyone home. And I was mm-hmm. in the prison this cell with like, you know, this dorm with about 100 or plus brothers. And these were all the brothers, they,
2: like African guys, like, I mean, oh, they're there all any brother, from different countries. Uh, was no, there no, any no, other culture there?
0: No, 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 not in the room we were at. Like, it was maybe like a hundred, the dorm we were at was like a hundred Africans and maybe like 10 or 15 Pakistani guys. But hmm. just seeing their different temperaments when I traveled, and, and I've told people this the final two weeks was really probably one of the best
2: travel experiences I had. So tell us a little bit about, let's back up a little bit with part of your development. Okay, you had been in, how long had you been, was it Hong Kong or was it uh, Beijing?
0: So I'll explain. Yeah,
2: explain all of that. I I
0: go to Asia, so I go to Asia in 2013, and I was out of a bad breakup, and this is all intertwined. I got involved, you know, this young lady, and we split, and I was you know, in a bad situation and an opportunity came up for me to go through, go to China.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And China had been on my radar because of uh, another movie, uh, The Last Emperor.
2: I had <laughs> always,
0: I had always, but even before then I was studying Mandarin and, you know, I was, it's like, you know, it, it, it was kind of like a thought,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it, it wasn't serious because I didn't know anyone there. And then, um, a brother who's been like a mentor to me, he mentioned that his nephew was there, and this all happened like within two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I talked to his nephew, and his nephew was like, "Yeah, by the way, the school that I'm working at, they're looking for teachers." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I taught I taught English in Brazil," and I was like, oh, "They're not going to reach out to me, man." They reached out to me like, like the next week, and they and they were like, "When can you come? We'll pay for your flight." So I was like, you know, here it is. okay, <laughs> you know, and at the time I was doing well financially through my business mm-hmm. that I had. And I was like, hey, if that's serious, I'll go. And it, it came into fruition. Now I go to Beijing and uh, I I mentioned this in my book. You know, I went through some tribulations there getting settled. But the thing that happened when you are in when you get a a, tr- a tourist visa in China, you have to leave the country every ninety days. So I had to go to Hong Kong and for everybody to give everybody some context, yeah, okay. Hong Kong is not is not is not legally a part of China, it's, they have their own currency, and they still have the British uh, legal system. So I go right. to Ch- I go to ba- I go to Hong Kong, and I'm blown away. I'm like, man, <laughs> this, is, this is this place is amazing. It's still it's visually. I I definitely recommend anybody who's in Asia to go to Hong Kong and stay and check it out. But visually, it blew me away. So I go back to Beijing, and over the next four years, that was in my mind. Those were my pyramids. I was like. I'm going to get to Hong Kong and I'm going to, I'm going to live there. That's going to be okay. And so I finally get there. I travel throughout China. Then I go to, then I go to Taiwan for several months. Then I go to Cambodia and Vietnam. And all this time I'm working as a person, an individual to finally get there. I get there and I'm there for several months. And then I find out that a lot of the expats are already leaving this is mm. when I get there. I get wow. there and I find out people are, are making their way out. This was, and this was, you know, before I, and then finally I get into this. Now you this, said due, this, due to the political,
2: alter- but this is the, they were on their way out due to the political stance <laughs> not nah, even Kong. like oh, Right. It?
0: Right. Cause it, it was, Beijing was just starting to infringe upon the freedoms of Hong Kong. And it was like 2012. 2013 was the year, I mentioned this about 2013 was the year when Beijing just came into Hong Kong. Mm. Uh, A guy, a Gambian brother I knew used to sell drugs in Hong Kong. He said before 2013, it was very casual, like the police would come and just Mm -hmm. like, hey man, you know, they were like, "Uh, my sergeant's coming through, clear out the area, you can come back after my sergeant leaves. It was that casual with the drug dealing. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't believe that and then, so over the years after 2013 it started becoming more restrictive
1: mm. and the people
0: were becoming less happy and that affected the overall vibe in Hong Kong. So a lot of expats, when I got there in 2017 to live, a lot of them were like, yeah, I've already got my five year plan on leaving. So they, they, a lot of people were already planning on They were on already out,
2: okay. So then yeah. you were exercising or something and you came back. I mean, how did that <laughs> day? No, 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 you said you had a, you had a, a premonition, let's say. In your vision or something like, talk about that too. Like, you had oh yeah, this, I, I this mentioned to you a few weeks yeah. ago. I yeah,
0: I was staying on a on a remote island from Hong Kong Island. Okay, and I knew I had like a test ahead of me. I kept seeing, and I saw myself in prison. I kept wow. seeing myself in prison.
2: Was there and, any way to to <laughs> to reverse this vision? It's just like. It, do you it think in retrospect there was anything you could have done differently to <laughs> redirect this this vision that was seemingly well, this black cloud that was seemingly entering into your world?
0: It didn't it didn't it wasn't necessarily negative. Okay. Um because when I had I had a lot of experiences with intuition and there's a guy I listen to called Les Brown. He's a motivational Oh, yeah, speaker. Les Brown.
2: I'm familiar. Yeah, Les and Brown. And he
0: mentions that, you know, feel that you're being led. And there was a part of my journey in, in while I was traveling where I, things just kept happening that were, that were leading me in certain directions. Okay. And I, I didn't know what I I had, like, a big test ahead of me. I knew it. I was like, I got this big test ahead of me. I don't know how okay. I'm going to get through it. And I, I felt it. I felt okay. it and so this was the test this mm. was it was, okay you know, so, so that
2: day and you woke up you what happened
0: Well, uh, <laughs> <coughs> no no just i'll just explain i had a wasn't feeling well i i definitely had a low vibration because i had some stuff going on internally with my family um i speak about this as well mm-hmm. but i got into an argument with a, a silly argument with someone that turned into a fight with her or family member. And I, I wind up going to prison for my fight with this other person, not this that woman. That was kind
2: of like interacting in the struggle
0: Who, 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 who instigated the whole okay. argument. Okay. And the funny thing was when I got to prison, all my Chinese friends knew what happened to me. Mm-hmm. They were like, were you by, were you by yourself? Mm-hmm. Did, 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 a, did a woman start an argument with you? Did the Whoa. police come and-, and like that? Yeah, they, they knew. It,
2: it happens. So I was like sitting a, at a
0: table. Uh, uh, I'm sitting, I'm in, I'm in prison. Yeah, I'm in prison and like two guys are asking me questions. It's like They're a like, trap. You, by yourself?
2: you fell into some kind of and, trap.
0: And, and they were laughing and they, and they smiled at me. After they asked me about three or four questions, they just smiled at me and I knew what had happened.
2: Okay, so what was that trap, first of all? Uh, and and what mean, did they... It's, not,
0: it's just the, What would be the,
2: the, the motivation for people to do that to you?
0: Just, not, just, I don't think her end game was, I'm going to put this guy in prison.
2: Oh, okay, end okay.
0: Game, her end game was, I'm going to fuck with him. That's okay. all, that's all that, that okay. was, that's all okay. it was about. So Same way in the States where women
2: call police on sometimes people, you know, like boyfriends. Right. Even.
0: That's, the that's, that's what the end game was. And you know, I could have just walked away situation, and mm-hmm. I even mentioned this to the man, like, how did I been doing better spiritually? Mm. You know, she called me some kind of like an African doll, and that's what kind of like set shit off. And, so basically, um, I, it, it,
2: for, to help people not fall in the same mistake or to help some of us not become Bakari Henderson or find ourselves in a Chinese prison, this is where my, my episode with my brother Roz about meditation comes in. We're gonna, if you're going to be a black man traveling in this world, if you're going to be living, if you, even if you stay in the United States, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you stay in the United States, if you travel, you need to have that centeredness and that, that let's say, that king state of being where you can, yes. you can discern with wisdom before you act. Because it sounds like she, she pulled you off that. She pulled you off of it. Yeah. And just for that one yeah. second, you might have slipped up. And then, yeah. you know...
0: Well, so I had, I had other people in my life who were doing the same thing. So my, spirit, my vibration uh, okay. was low. Okay, so you
2: were, your resistance was low to all of that. It was just my kind of was, all pulling
0: at you. Well, you, you mentioned an important point, this, this spiritual practice, even if you're not Christian or, you know, like you have to develop your own spiritual practice. And I was at a low state and I got pulled into the wrong direction. That's all. Mm, this, this was somebody okay. I didn't notice, but... I'll provide context, even in Hong Kong, and they're very consistent. Um, this is the kind of, I, I'm not trying to say uh, undermine New York City's legal system, but this kind of interaction I had with these people on the street, this would have possibly been like a, the police would have like dismissed it. If I got arrested, they would have just, like, you know, they would have just looked at my record and like, you know, guy's a clean record, he's not a criminal, let's leave this alone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but in Hong Kong they're they're pretty consistent. They they have this something called the rule of law. Okay. And like for the slightest deviation of that rule of law, you will go to prison.
2: Okay. So now you're in there, what do you do to get out? <laughs> and you you know was how good was your Chinese? Did you have to get Chinese lawyer? How did you get out?
0: No that whole situation I think it was a, a negative experience, but it was good because you're in Taiwan. I mean, I mean I'm in Hong Kong by myself. I can't work. Uh, I, can't, I, I lost my age. The, the writing contracts that I had, because I was sustaining myself through some, uh, some content marketing and some writing work that I do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I lost my contracts, my apartment, and I got arrested all in one month. And I'm going to share something with you. The the police knew what happened to me. One of the police, and I'm not going to mention this in the book. I'll mention this here. One of the police officers paid my bill.
2: Wow. Okay.
0: Because they knew, they knew, because I was, I was exercising.
2: Okay. Yeah, I remember you said, it it wasn't.
0: Yeah, I was coming back and, and, and it was so grimy. I remember when I got the, they sent the video footage in. They edited footage of me just going up to her, they didn't show me when I first walked by this woman and said hello, and her calling me an African dog because for you to, uh, to to use a slur like that against someone is yeah. against the law in Hong Kong. Uh, so she could okay. she right. So she edited herself out of the story and just used my retaliation, and it, it, it all started out of nothing. And wow, so man. it was just like. Um, it was just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Probably like said, a lot of the pressure was lot. building
2: up too, because I know how it can feel. You know, you're in a, a foreign country, you're dealing with so much stuff. That's the last thing, I was, you know, you want to hear. It know, was you like
0: know. you said, like a pressure. But then also I was just hurting. I was hurting from yeah. some other stuff. Some other family members were, were trying to distract me. Yeah, and
2: yeah. And so it's I like mentioned
0: this all in my book, yeah. like people.
2: Strauss, yeah, somebody break on the other back. side
0: of the earth. That's all it was. Yeah, definitely.
2: So then you were in there. They helped you get on bail for a little while, and then did you have to go I was back? On,
0: I was out on bail, and then for several months, man, I was trying to fight the case. I was going to the law library, and I met, and a lot, a lot of Chinese. A lot of Chinese people were helping me. Okay. A lot, I was because uh, I, I had obtained a lawyer through the free legal uh, division in, in, in Hong Kong. And a lot of the people that were helping me, man, they were really okay. helping me
2: so, study
0: cases
1: to yeah, prepare man. and
0: so by the time I met with my lawyer, he was asking me if I had a background in law. Because wow. I, I I yeah, 'cause I had spent every day I was going to the library for like several hours trying to defend this case.
2: <laughs> you got your papoose song. <laughs> Remember how we had know. that how he had that song, the 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 legal term. <laughs>
0: It, well, I had to man. I yeah, had to yeah. get it. I didn't want to, but it was something I had to do. So it was an interesting experience, and it also helped me understand something about you know Chinese people. It's not like you know, you go to the worst hood in America, it, not every black person is going to be out for you, but there's going to be that section of people mm-hmm. that are that thieves you gotta, yeah, and, that, yeah. and then you go, to, you go to some places in Asia, they're going to be that section that's going to be racist,
1: mm-hmm. and you just got to deal with
0: that.
2: Okay, so you you took it to trial. I mean, they took you to trial, basically, and you were tried. How is the court yeah, well, in, how is the court like in China, and was it just or, like...
0: Well, it's it's completely different than China. Um, I uh, oh, okay, it. okay. It's, it's even, different
2: than China. Yeah, because yeah, I mentioned place. this in the
0: book. Yeah, com- they have the British legal system. So uh, everything okay. is in English.
2: Okay, that's but cool. That's even cool. If, yeah,
0: well... It's not. It's
2: like it's not really, like huh?
0: Any, it's just they, they, they. I couldn't understand why things were so severe. Okay. But once even when on, I got inside the prison, I was talking to a Chinese friend, and he said like things weren't as just there with rule of law, you know, because Hong Kong is known for like Bruce Lee and mm. <coughs> kung fu and yeah. He said he said he mentioned like you know a decade or two ago it was much more lenient. So if you got arrested for a simple fight, they would just give you a warning and they wouldn't put you in prison. But like over the last few years, and even as I studied my case and other cases, for the simplest thing, if somebody shoves someone, they go into prison for two weeks. And so mm. they, things, I think it was like after the SARS, I think after SARS came into Hong Kong, a lot of things changed with their their law.
2: So then basically you were like, okay, they, they, they sentenced you like, and, you no, know, no. I long... went to
0: trial, and I I tried to beat it, and I lost. Uh, I lost. Um, and I remember when I was in the holding pen. You know, my my attorney. Dude, what, were, what was say, going through
2: your thoughts at that? Oh, time? I was, I was,
0: I was, I was, I was, pissed off. I was angry, and and that's why. But also, it was like it's a traumatic feeling. It's like you feel, yeah, man. You're like, oh my god, like you, Because yeah, I man. thought I was gonna win. I thought I was gonna win, and then. Yeah. My attorney, he met with me in a holding cell. He said, Clark, this is about who the judge likes best.
2: Damn, man. And now, like, okay. Said, so, yeah. so once that happens, was there... Because you, you you know, coming from New York and having heard stories about prison and stuff like that, now you're going into a Chinese prison. Were you like, okay, I got to get the, the glow in me. I got to be ready for whatever. Well, I mean, were, were you... Or was there a, a, a buffer that you had that, you know, in terms of violent offenders and things like that? Did you know what you were getting into? Well, you know, I, mean? I did
0: as much research as I could for the worst case scenario. I found a book online written by a guy, and I mentioned this in my book, written by a guy named Andy Ajuku. He was an African brother from the United States. He went to China for some reason, and he was held in prison for like three months. Okay. So he wrote a lot of stuff about how things work and they were organized. And mm-hmm. there are, Chinese prisons are filled with triads, they're filled with gangs. But mm-hmm. the thing that I mentioned, that I noticed about Chinese guys, there's a difference with them in the way that they go about crime
1: with mm-hmm. for me.
0: And that really, first of all, I could speak some Cantonese, so they were abused by that. That's the first thing that separated me from every other foreigner. Because most foreigners, when they moved to Hong Kong, you don't bother to learn Cantonese. Mm, mm. So that separated me right away. Mm-hmm. And they were, they I was like a novelty for them. Um, Chinese gangsters for me, which is a good thing, they are more worried about their money. Mm. And so they may be in prison, but like instead of spending time raping people and cutting mm. people, they're, they're, you know, gang members are... Uh, do, they <laughs> do they get swollen? Oh,
2: yeah, you, do they get swollen in Chinese prison? Well, do you they, work do they, out. <laughs> I mean, yeah,
0: you work out. every. Uh, that's, that's how you keep your sanity, sanity working out. Is so, there's some, so there's sanity. some
2: tough guys in Chinese prison, though. But they're oh, just man, not... Like, you know, the, they're just not focused on uh, you know, this territorial aspect or... abuse. I it. think
0: they can be. I mean, you have to stand your ground in prison and you have to fight in prison. But Chinese guys for the most part, again, I think they're focused on their money. Mm-hmm. And like for the most part, like, you know, they're like, I'm gonna get it so instead of sitting around talking about extorting somebody, some gangsters maybe at a table speaking to several guys who used to be police officers, and you mm-hmm. see them working out deals and you could kind of see they were trying to figure out how to possibly bring drugs in or just because they were trying to get information from guys who were police officers. So for me it seemed like they were a little more focused on what they were gonna do when they were getting out instead Mm. of sitting around and talking about raping somebody or fighting with another gang. But there was fights all the time and stuff. So you you just like but you it's not necessary so to speak. I think that in any prison if you just see that also how you come in if you come in with violence, like if you have a violent charge, people will assume that you're ready to fight there.
2: Mm, okay, so you kind of <laughs> held your own and just did your best and just you know stay focused. Well,
0: no, nah, I mean I went to solitaire. I had a fight there, but like mm-hmm. we, I interacted with like a, you have to stand up for yourself and people will test you because mm-hmm. one of the crazy things about Hong Kong that I didn't understand is they wouldn't screen. They didn't screen hardened criminals. So you could have somebody who's been in, like, for instance, there was a guy I did time with, who was in prison in Colombia, Thailand, Dang. Germany, and Italy, mm. and he came to Hong Kong, and he's in prison. I'm like, I'm not supposed to be in prison with this guy. This guy <laughs> is like a killer.
1: Yeah, and
0: you have those those kinds of people who you you would meet, and you meet a lot of interesting people as well. Um, had I stayed in Hong Kong, and I talk about this in the book, there's a way I could have stayed. Um, you meet a lot of people to, to have connections with. Like I met a lot of drug dealers, or people would say to stay in Hong Kong, let me know. So you meet a lot, of, you connect a lot
2: of people there. Wow, man. So basically, is there anything you did to, to get you through that run and your mental sanity? Um, you know, was well, I, there I can't even personally? Lie, you,
0: yeah like you know, I had my girlfriend at the time. She flaked on me for several months, and mm-hmm. there was a woman who I wasn't sexually involved with, but who was a good friend. Um, you know, in fact, I ref- in a book I reference her as an alchemist because she mm-hmm. has a spiritual practice that she, that she kind of made herself. Uh, she grew up as a Buddhist, and she has like, uh, but she came. She would come as much as possible, bring me books, and she would me once a week, man. Like, my but my girlfriend flaked on me and I'm eternally grateful for her. And so I, even before I went inside, because I had been practicing yoga in Cambodia, I started in the mornings while I was on trial, I was like, you know what, if I go to prison, I'm going to work on my practice. So she brought me yoga books. So mm-hmm. in the evenings, I, one of the things as a writer, I just focused on mm-hmm. my, my, my writing mm-hmm. and uh, reading
2: as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So, you had your fitness, your mental, and your
0: spiritual. uh, My spirituality was still very low because I was dealing with some stuff regarding my family. And this is another thing. Uh, A doctor had interviewed me there. He was like, are you having problems sleeping at times? I was like, yeah. And I had this problem. All while I was in Asia, he's like, "Do you have any family problems?" Mm. I was like, "Yeah, I do have family problems." And he said, "You know, you you're not gonna be here that long. But ha- if you were staying in prison for like a year or two, we would probably have sent you to another prison so you can get uh, therapy."
2: Mm. And mm. Um,
0: before I came out here, bio, before I came to, this is the first year I ever had therapy. Wow. And mm. yeah, and it was it was good to talk to someone to help me work, to work yeah, on Yeah. Sometimes you to need to know
2: what's occurring and in you afterwards. that was rooted in some things in the past. Yeah.
0: And she, she analyzed, my therapist was great. She helped analyze a lot of stuff that I was dealing with. And so I even mentioned simple, because it's the first time I'm leaving and I'm not angry. When I went mm. to Brazil, I was angry at this. When I went to Asia, I was angry at the woman and I was I angry at, you know, yeah. so it was like, it's like, this is the first time I've left and I started my journey and I don't have any anger issues. Man. I feel so fantastic.
2: That's great, man. That's awesome. So the book, uh, in the book, you go into a lot of these different uh, experiences. Um, what about this, where we are now? Because uh, we talked about the United States. You talked about it as well. Um, detoxing from this toxic, toxic kind of climate. And now we got this you know, since the, the pandemic, and then we have the riots that broke out in the United States, and then we have this proliferation of content on the uh, the internet that's this algorithm. Because yeah. I was asking you, I was like, well, you know, it used to be if you were, if you were in the matrix, so to say, and you were, you were, you know, in a toxic environment in the United States, and then you left that environment, you wouldn't be exposed to similar media. But now, because everybody in the world is using the same internet media and the same algorithms are running through Facebook, Google, YouTube, it's kind of like we get yeah. exposed to the same thing. Is it? I mean, I know it's still a little bit different outside the United States, but you were recently in the United States during all of this stuff and then coming yeah. out of it. So what's your ideas on that?
0: Well, it's kind of like night and day. Um, you know, COVID was on the forefront of everything. In United States, in New York City, and now here, the president here is taking a very casual stance with it. I don't want to say casual, but he's something. I don't know if he's saying it publicly, but I don't think he's buying into it.
1: Mm, and so you, so you think so, there
0: is an element
2: yeah. of that, like that the severity of the COVID, like? Uh,
0: well, I'm not, I'm not undermining it at all. Um, mm-hmm. I'm saying it's real. I think I had it already. Okay, um, okay. I got very, I got, I got very sick this winter, and I was working for a Chinese. Uh, company doing marketing for them. Mm-hmm. This is around February, and so uh, it's quite possibly that I already had it, and I ha- and I got very very sick.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the science acknowledges it's not- that it's real. It's just it's just a matter of all these different uh, opinions yeah. and uh, you know facts or are-
0: yeah, there's different variables. Um, variables, yeah. So I I don't I don't want to undermine it, but I will say this: there was a. It's kind of funny. About two weeks ago. There was a, a huge soccer match here. It was in like mm-hmm. one of the largest stadiums in Tanzania.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm saying to myself, if this virus is as serious as it should be, then all these, there's going to be a huge fallout after this soccer match. And I haven't heard anything.
2: Mm, okay. I mean, that's,
0: that, stadium, that stadium was filled to capacity.
2: Now, this and- is a good question. Did you hear in New York, did you hear like, everything that they were saying about New York at the peak with the sirens all the time. And what was your experience with I was in there. New York? Yeah, I was there. I know, you oh, were it
0: there. Was, I mean, it was, it was, so it was horrible. bad. It was, it was horrible. Yeah. It was, you know what got me through that, man? And I, I have to say this, really talking to my ancestors this mm. year, I remember when this whole outbreak started, I was, fortunately, I was near uh, Prospect Park
1: and I okay. remember I said
0: I'm gonna beat this shit. I started running, mm. and I would just put my. Got your sunlight.
2: Well, got your sunlight. I was your trying sun- to get. <laughs> I was trying
0: to trying to get some trying to get some, yeah trying to get some vitamin D. But I remember there was a part, man. Like I was running maybe like I got to a point where I was running like 13 miles in one day, and mm. I haven't I hadn't run that far since like 2005. Wow! I ran like yeah, nine so miles. In. But I was like twelve, twelve, yeah, twelve, thirteen miles one day. Several laps around Prospect Park, and I was like, "I'm, I'm beating this shit." So mm. I just really focused, and you know, it was so easy, bio man. It was, it was horrible because you would hear the sirens, and then nobody knew what was happening. You, tr- you distrusted everyone, like your, your roommates. Like I had roommates in my apartment. We, I didn't trust them. It was just. You you were on edge, and uh, you know coming here. So things, oh, things got better uh, as the summer started, and things got warmer. Uh, Mm. Things that you know, it was good to see. You know, bars and pubs were opening back up in New York City, so it was good to see things were open. But to see New York City running on half cylinders is very depressing.
2: Yeah, and I think that there's something there with having worked in the fitness industry in New York City for so long. Um, I think that because of the, uh, the susceptibility in the African American community and uh, some of the, the food options and just the overall health, how it impacted the African American community more, I think was more yes. of a reflection on the quality of foods in those neighborhoods. The quality of care, of medical care in general, in those neighborhoods right. and those people, you know, do you think that played a big role in that? That what seemed like so many cases, then all of a sudden, so many of the cases happened to be African American. You know,
0: there are other factors um, that I'm not going to mention here, but no I'll just to. say that. If, no, no, it's just yeah. I just say like those factors played a, a role. Um, so that's all I would say. Those factors definitely played a role in what happened. Yeah.
2: Well, man, at least you got your sunlight, you got your oxygen and, uh, you got out of there, you know, get a chance to just you know do some things you wanted to do. Was it difficult in terms of setting up the travel outside? Because a lot of people are concerned about visas, passports. Um, was there any restraints on was, did you already have your ticket? Um, can people just go get a ticket now and still go to Ta- Tanzania or
0: Tanzania? Well, yeah, or is it just the particular I had to, country? I had to. No, I got I got a COVID test. Okay. Uh, so you
2: had to get the there's test. A, there's a
0: there's a there's a company that offers like same day or day before they'll test you and provide you with a a PDF uh, output of the day of your flight. Mm-hmm. So I got my test the day before I was supposed to go. Uh, fortunately, mm-hmm. it was negative. And so I just brought it with me. But I, I have heard of certain people being turned back and certain, certain airlines mm-hmm. having not let people on without the test. So okay, I don't know if that's so, the case now. Um, I don't know what the situation is now.
2: Yeah. So right now it's just the testing. All right, man. So what other things do you want us to, uh, to would you like to highlight about the book? Um, yeah. You know, basically, you know, in this adventure, kind of give us an idea of what, what a reader can expect to gain out of, Reading Homeboy and the Pyramids and how it will hopefully your goal is to help transform and help guide people on this before they make a lot of these big moves and
0: maybe Mm -hmm. learn from some of your wisdom. Well, look, I'm like I'm here. Thank you. I appreciate the platform again. I'm here in Tanzania Mm -hmm. with and I got here through a business that's my own business. I'm not a Mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witness anymore. (laughs) And it's like, but I had to I mean, I just thinking about, you know, it's like going through all these transformations, having these great experiences through travel has just helped make me a better person. And so what I'm trying to, through the book, it's, not a, I'm, it's a series of essays. So and one essay might highlight, you know, there's an essay I have on my experience in Atlanta, mm-hmm. but throughout each essay, I provide like game, like okay. uh, or, or, or salient points that I that I wish that I would have had 10 years ago. Or mm. that I wish, I, I know I wish I would have had this when I was 20. Or I wish I would have had this when I was 30. Um, or, you know, like I said, I even wish I had this when I was 40. Just, and it's a, and like I said, if nothing else, I think it's going to start a dialogue because I think there are brothers out there, like I said, you, you know. Yeah, brothers, there's yeah. a lot of brothers who are just doing amazing things. They're traveling all over and they... They're sitting on co- top of all kinds of information. And so I think that by sharing life experiences, travel experiences, we can start a dialogue with each other and help each other be better, better, better travelers and better men.
2: For sure, for sure. And so when, when can people expect to uh, be able to purchase the book and they can find it on your website? Are uh, you going to have it on other outlets, Amazon, things like this?
0: Yeah. Amazon. I'm looking to have the book published in December this year. I already have a okay illustrator design designing the cover. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think I sent you a a, a mockup.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, cover.
0: yeah. That's that was just something I put together through some images. But no, I already hired a designer for the for the cover. So I've already purchased the ISBN. So. It's official. It's just a matter of pushing and play. And it's about 50% done. So I'll be done soon.
2: That's great, man. That's, that's awesome. I know a lot of people will be looking forward to reading this. And hopefully from listening to this interview, they can see that this is going to be a, a, a deep insight, you know what I'm saying, into this process of travel. Because I didn't have any books like this to read. Because when I was looking for that's, books, right? When I was looking for yeah. books of, okay... This, If you want to travel to, okay, who do you, like, you know, there's like, you know, four hour work week or, you know, there's other books, but not specifically about us and our unique challenges, experiences, um, purposes and stuff. So man, that's, you know, that's what we want to, want to show people what you've done here and help people find out about it. So man, uh, like everybody, you can go to illmatical.com And what's your uh, social media handle? Are you on
0: Instagram? I think you have... Yeah, Instagram, people can hit me at Clark Ilmatical. That's uh, Clark with an E, Clark Illmatical. Uh, Also um, on Twitter, I'm Mind, So they can hit me there. If they just Google me, they'll they'll be able to get in contact with me. Um, I have a YouTube channel, so it's Clark Illmatical YouTube. any of those platforms, Twitter's probably the best, but like, I think that uh, they'll, they'll be able to find me and uh, I'm gradually starting to promote the book now.
2: So all right, they'll, man.
0: they'll be able to obtain it then.
2: Hey man, well again, thanks you for being on the show. Thanks for, for uh, sharing all this wisdom, all thanks this game now, about man. traveling globally. And uh, I know it's gonna be great for you going forward. And I can hear the birds chirping where you're at, man. It sounds like yeah, such a beautiful place. We didn't even talk it's, as much about that. So maybe as you yeah. get some more experiences there, you know, you can come back and uh, you can learn about, you know, the, the different level that you gained there. Absolutely, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bob. Absolutely, man. Thanks
0: a lot. Take Palti, care. Peace. All right.
1: Thanks for joining us this week on Sun Chase and Success. Make sure to visit our blog at www.olorumbooks.com slash blog. Again, that's O-L-O-R-U-N blog. Books.com/slash You can also subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of your favorite platforms, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on your preferred platform. Or you can simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out BIOS ebook, Secrets of Success Under the Sun. It's available at olorunbooks.com success. Subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. Until next time, sun chasers, cheers to your success.